Our scripture this morning, for those of us that remain, our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark. We are now in chapter 13, and we will begin with verse 1 and go through verse 37 today, which, as you will soon find out, is the entirety of chapter 13. We're going to cover an entire chapter in one morning. Uh, you can have confidence that, that we do not take too long because the people from the 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock service are no longer here. Um, so, so we do get out at some point. Again, it's the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. It's found on page 1010, so 1010 in your pew Bible um, to follow along with us. Uh, I, can now, I, I now know exactly which page it is uh, as, I, as I'm aging and, and my birthday is nearer. Uh, my eyesight is leaving me as it wants to do. And, and so instead of going the route of glasses, I went for the large print Bible. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, folks, it's a game changer. Like, should have done this years ago. Um, it, it, it is a game changer, but it happens to coincide. Its page numbers are the same page numbers as the pews. So, so I've got it all figured out now. So we're on page 1010 this morning, Mark chapter 13. And there it's written. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days... Pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. 
And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all these things beforehand. But in those days, after, the, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers and the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth and the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson as soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Please join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the whole of chapter 13, the reason... It's not divided up into shorter sections is, is because it all goes together. It's known as the Olivet Discourse or Jesus's Farewell Prophecy. And, and where we've been is we've been sitting on the Wednesday of Holy Week, where he's been in the temple doing teachings, where the Pharisees and Herodians and the Sadducees and the scribes have, have come to him with questions. And then, and then he came back to them pointing out the scribes and the widows and, and contrasting them for us. And now... Chapter 13 starts off with them leaving the temple and going to the Mount of Olives. And as they do, one of the disciples, it doesn't tell us who, exclaims, look at those stones. Look at those buildings. Aren't they beautiful? Because it's taken 46 years and the temple is now near completion. And by all accounts, the very outside of this temple that Jesus has been teaching within is Nothing short of magnificent. It was a, a glorious sight to see for the house of the Lord. And Jesus quickly turns that to a prophecy of all things ending. And so what we find in all of chapter 13 is, is one of the most difficult passages, not only in Mark, but in the entirety of the New Testament. For, for the apocalyptic prophecies uh, that talk about the end times. And so the end times in 
theology words is the eschaton, and to talk about uh, the end times is, and study it is eschatology. I'm not going to use those words, just so you know if you hear them and hear other people talking about them, you're aware of what's going on. But here we have prophecies of apocalyptic nature, which are, which are about the end times and how it all will end. And there's allusions to, to Old Testament prophecies within there, and, and Jesus makes claims himself. And, and what it happens is there's this big knot that is woven together with all these prophecies. And I haven't come across a, a scholar yet who's able to fully untie the entire thing. We could go through it verse by verse, uh, but nobody here signed up for a 10-hour seminar today. Um, and so we're going to be respectful of that time. There's also something about diving into the very specifics of apocalyptic, apocalyptic prophetic language that, that really ties up the mind. G.K. Chesterton said, It is only the fool who tries to get the heavens inside his head, and not unnaturally his head bursts. The wise man is content to get his head inside the heavens. And so rather than dive into the specifics, we're going to leave the fact that there are mysteries with God that we just don't understand. But because we don't understand them and, and don't fully get it does not mean we trust God less. Correct? God has proven himself faithful, and so we can trust him even in the mysteries of which Jesus speaks here before us. And so as we go on, as your pastor, I want to help guide your own reading as you read prophetic works, as you read apocalyptic scriptures, as you read scriptures relating to the end times. There, there's a couple things I, I want to um, give you a heads up about. One is that Jesus clearly says here in Mark 13 that, that no one knows. No, the angels don't know. The Son of God doesn't know. Only the Father knows when Jesus will return, okay? So if there is someone out there, so first off, stop trying to figure it out. It means you don't need a calendar, a calculator, or Excel spreadsheet to figure out when Jesus is coming back. You can trust wholly in the Father that it will be in the perfect time, amen? Okay, and so the other thing is we don't have to figure it out, which also means if someone else claims to have figured out the exact date of Jesus's return, run the opposite direction. They are lying to you. They are doing the work and the bidding of the devil. Okay, a number of years ago, it must have been uh, just over a decade ago, uh, and it pops up every decade, decade and a half. Someone comes and says, I figured it out. This is when the end will come, and unfortunately leads some people astray who end up selling everything and regret it because the end never comes. I remember seeing the billboard. I don't know if you saw them here in Florida, but in Texas there were billboards telling us the exact date. I think it was sometime in October of maybe 2010. That December 12, 2012. See, we, we know this, but then it didn't come, did it? And so the billboards changed to like six months later to add the date because they still had the advertising time on the billboards. <laughs> it, that's the true story of it. And, and so it, the, the people who claim to know when Jesus is coming are dangerous. And so as your pastor, Jesus warns us here to, to stay away from those who try to lead you astray. They're not trying to lead you closer to Jesus. Rather, they, they are false Christs and false prophets trying to lead you astray. 
And so you, are, you know, you, you've been here, you've heard it from Jesus' own mouth. No one knows, not even Jesus, when, he'll, when he will return. Only the Father does. Anyone claiming otherwise is a false prophet, a false Christ, and should be treated as such. Okay? We good? All right. So, second thing, as your pastor, when we deal with apocalyptic and prophetic uh, scriptures, is that it is very easy for us to be America-centric when we read scripture, especially about end times. It's, it's easy to look at what's going on around us here in the United States because it affects us so deeply and want to read that these things are in scripture within the United States. But I can tell you this, I've scoured the Bible, and you can do this on your own too. I haven't found a place where the United States of America is explicitly mentioned in scripture. And when you find it, show it to me, because then we can start applying these prophecies and end-time understandings and apocalyptic nature to the events happening here just in America. Because I'll tell you this, it may feel or it's easy to think that the, the latest natural disaster occurring here among us that's affecting us and people we know, or the, the previous war, or the next war, or this election cycle, or this political agenda, or this president, or this king, or this regime are, are indicators that the world is going to end. First of all, stop. Because, again, Scripture is not America-specific. And then, if you take a step back and read what Jesus says, he says, the wars will continue. Natural disasters will happen. These are the birthing pains of the end times. Right? It, and then when we look at history, right, between Jesus' resurrection and the destruction of the temple, this beautiful temple that the disciple just exclaimed how exquisite it was. Between his resurrection and the destruction of the temple, which happens roughly 40 years later, these things happen. Vesuvius buries Pompeii. There was a huge earthquake in Laodicea and a famine in Rome. And yet, it was not the end of the world. And so we're not to be deceived by any of this. These things, these wars and these natural disasters are a result of man's sin and will continue until the very end of time. Okay. So now we've, we've got those pastoral warnings and... and Hold on to those forever. Never let those go. Now, now we're going to dig in here to Jesus' farewell prophecy. And we're not going to unpack all of it, like I said, but I want us to look specifically at three different verses within his farewell prophecy. Now, when we often think of end times and prophecies and apocalyptic scripture, we think of all the bad things, right? We've talked about them, wars, famines, natural disasters. We look at all the bad things that are happening that signal the end times. But there's actually something quite magnificent that happens before the end of time. And it's here in Mark 13, verse 10. Jesus says this right here. He says, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. The good news will reach all four corners of the world to all people. 
That's, that's what Jesus says. Before anything else happens, before the end is even to start, everyone will have heard the good news. And that's magnificent. But it also means that there is a great harvest out there, that the laborers are few, that there's work for each and every one of us who call ourselves Christian to do. For we are to go to all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And so there's a calling on our life within our families to share the good news of Jesus within our neighborhoods and and neighbors and communities to share about Jesus. For you see, all of us that are here today are at a result of someone sharing the good news with another. It may not have happened directly to you. Maybe you were born into the church, but it certainly happened the generation before, the generation before that, or the generation before that. The person that then told you, God has been working for generations to get the word to you. There's an importance in us sharing the good news. See, in 2021, the world consists of 7.84 billion people. Billion with a B. It's such a large number, we honestly can't comprehend how big it is. So the difference between one million and one billion is this. One million seconds averages out about, I believe it's three days. Somewhere in there. I could be wrong by 30. (laughs) Math is hard. But one billion seconds is over 30 years. Think about that. that. That's the difference between one million and a billion. It's, it's this vast, vast difference in numbers. So there's 7.84 million people in the world today. Billion, thank you. Billion with a B. 7.84 billion. And of that, 42% remain unreached with the gospel which leaves the remaining 3.25 billion people that the gospel has not reached yet. 3.25 billion. That's like taking the population of the United States of 324 million and multiplying it by 10. There are 10 countries with the population of the United States filled with people that have not yet heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, there is good work still to be done. Maybe God isn't the one calling you to go to the ends of the earth, to go to these unreached people's groups, but he sure is calling you to share the good news with your family and your neighbors and your friends and your community because there is someone that you will reach that will then reach another one in their generation in which a child will be raised that God has put on their heart to go to that place and share the good news. And it's not the sharing of the good news where we coerce faith out of someone. It's simply proclaiming Christ and him crucified to them. Sharing about the gospel that has radically transformed your own life. How we once were in the depths and the darkness of our own sin, and while we were in the midst of our rebellion, and in that darkness... God, because he loved us, sent Christ who died on the cross and was resurrected three days later so that God would turn us around and adopt us as daughters and sons. 
that we would be restored to our Father's family in wholeness and completeness. That's the good news we're, we're called to share because we love the Lord our God. And the greatest commandment Jesus said, the second is like the first, that we love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, as we understand nations, he's not talking about the geopolitical map that we see with the imaginary boundaries that we draw of what countries are. He's talking about people groups who share the same religion and same culture and the same values to go and reach all of them with the gospel to the very ends of the earth. Now, the second verse I want to share with you and pay attention to is verse 13. So we've looked at the really exciting, magnificent part of what comes with the end times, and now we're going to personally look at what affects us the most. In verse 13, Jesus says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. You will be hated for my name's sake. Now, we have to admit, we have it pretty good here, don't we? I mean, we have it really good. Did anyone come here in secret, in hiding? Is anyone leaving cloaked and in a dark van so no one sees that you came here today for fear of your own life? We, we chuckle, but there are people who meet all around the world for fear of their life, for simply believing in Christ. Persecution is not upon us here. What we currently perceive as persecutions or slights is simply just a means of a loss of power within a political system that in the end means nothing. But Jesus promises that persecution does come to each and every one of us, and that when it comes, that we are to suffer with endurance. Don't mistake the easy times that we have as the norm for the Christian faith. And so when we suffer... We share our sufferings with Christ. And he says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And there's a warning in there. There's a warning where he says people will fall off. They'll be led astray. And as a pastor over the years, I'm surprised every time when someone falls away from Jesus. And so his warning is painfully relevant. Even if we look around in our own lives in the midst of the pandemic going on for two years now, it's painful to see those who have fallen away from Christ. And so true believers keep on going through the thick and thin. And I pray that each of us will finish well. And so finally, I want us to look at verse 37. Here are the end of his farewell prophecy, and he says, And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Stay awake. Life will not go on and on and on without end. Rather, because it has a beginning, there will be an end 
to it. And we, we are to keep looking up. We are to keep our eyes upon Christ. We are to be like the doorman for the master, standing at the door awake, ready for his return at any moment. Or as Paul tells Titus, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, staying awake is about turning and fixating our eyes and everything about us upon the Lord. To live a life that forsakes the world, not a life that forsakes Christ. And so as we read and we listen to his farewell prophecy, I'm reminded of, of the totality of the prophecy found in Revelation specifically at the very, very end. The final words found in Scripture in Revelation twenty-two, twenty, where he, that's Jesus, who testifies to these things, says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And it, so it is that as we begin this Advent season, a season of waiting and expecting the coming of the Lord. The church now stands between two truths. God has come. And come, Lord Jesus. And the first grounds our confidence that the second will assuredly be answered. For we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, not for the birth of Jesus, but because he has come and he has promised that he will come again. And so it's in this season of waiting that we aren't awaiting the birth of a child. We are awaiting the return of our King and Savior. And so on this Sunday of hope, it is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus that shapes our hope in his return and our salvation. Amen.